I'm Samantha Olds Fry, CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, and this is Sam Says, a podcast series focused on Illinois Medicaid managed care. Hello, I'm Durando Beverly with the Gemini Group, and welcome to Sam Says. On today's episode, we sit down with Laura Minzer, president of the Illinois Life and Health Insurance Council, to discuss the health care coverage and importance of preventative care here in Illinois. But first, let me welcome our host, the Sam and Sam Says, Samantha Olds Fry, CEO of I'm Hip. Sam, how are you today? I am wonderful, Durandal. How are you? I am doing well, doing well. Uh, as I stated earlier, we, we have a very exciting uh, show today, and we're excited to dive into this today's discussion on comprehensive healthcare coverage and preventative healthcare. Sam, can you outline the impact of commercial coverage on the Medicaid population and why here on Sam Says uh, that we're talking about Medicaid and commercial coverage for preventative health care? Absolutely. And, and while we sort of think of these as separate programs, right? Like Medicaid has separate policies. It's really funded separately. It's funded by the government. It's an entitlement program based off of income. And obviously with commercial insurance, it's either employer sponsored or self-purchased off the exchange or, or, um, you know, it's sort of, it's very separate and different. However, when we look at the healthcare ecosystem holistically, they're far more intertwined than we sort of like talk about or or give credit to. And, And the foundation of that is they're all of us, whether you have commercial insurance or you have Medicaid, you're often going to the same providers. Um, you know, the same hospitals, uh, the same doctors, uh, a lot of the networks are very, very similar. And especially when you look at emergent care and, and pharmacy care, I mean, you know, Walgreens, CVS, et cetera. Uh, so they're intertwined with regards to the providers, but also with regards to the members. When people think about Medicaid, they often incorrectly think that you are on Medicaid for an extended period of time. Like you're on Medicaid for years upon years upon years. And it's really not the case. If you are a senior or you are disabled, that is often the case for you. But that is a very small portion of our population within the Medicaid program and and within the state of Illinois. What is far more likely is that you are um, a either somebody who's eligible because of the Affordable Care Act or you're eligible um, because of unique circumstances with your family where you've been laid off, um, you know, temporarily or you've had a dip in hours. And so you've lost um, income to afford private insurance or you've lost your employer-sponsored coverage. And so you're on Medicaid for just a short period of time. Uh, And then you go back to the commercial space. And so when we think about it that way, what occurs in the commercial space is going to have an impact um, on Medicaid. And then what occurs in Medicaid space is going to have an impact um, on commercial insurance later down the road. And so there's this intertwined um, component that we just don't talk about a lot, which is why I'm so excited to have Laura on um, to talk about sort of that synergy and how there are certain areas where even though our programs look really different, um, where we're incredibly aligned and have the same goals and where we can sort of almost work together because as we improve health literacy and education for the Medicaid members, it's going to have a positive impact for commercial and vice versa. Laura, 
can you provide a holistic overview of how the ACA impacted private insurance and the focus on preventative health care coverage? Sure. Um, so, you know, the ACA uh, was uh, drastically changed our health insurance coverage um, system, uh, healthcare system generally. But um, when you think about pre-ACA, the very fact that individuals um, couldn't, you know, if you had a pre-existing condition, uh, you may not even be able to get a health insurance policy in the private market unless you got it through your employer. Um, or if you had a, prevent, a, a pre-existing condition, they were held just sort of a waiting period. Um, it may have been uh, exempted from your coverage. So it was kind of a patchwork approach. And, and really insurance, you know, from a, if you stand back and think about insurance generally, it's about protecting against loss and risk. Um, and when you think about other types of products in the insurance space, um, they're designed and health insurance pre-ACA was designed this way, which was to, uh, um, protect you against, you know, uh, un, un, unforeseen circumstances. So emergency room uh, visits, catastrophic events. Um, but that all changed with the ACA and much more focus on not only your health insurance covering and accessible uh, for individuals, um, regardless of pre-existing conditions and underlying medical conditions, but shifting it more towards a preventative, um, a care type of coverage. Uh, you don't get that obviously. So if you have if my auto insurance policy doesn't cover car maintenance, I wish it would, um, but it doesn't. And and the reason for that is because um, in the healthcare system, you know, it's it's well, it's it's very proven um, that borne out um, managing uh, one's health and the patient population with the chronic diseases that cost. Here's the 80-20 rule. So 80% of our healthcare costs are borne out by 20% of of um, those with you know high cost conditions, and we want to prevent against those. So preventative care plays an important role in ensuring that we try to um, reduce that uh, that percentage uh, a little bit, and certainly reduce the cost that are borne out across the entire system, Medicaid, um, private, uh, um, Medicare, it, it all kind of uh, has, as Sam was saying, not only intertwined from the patient impact, but also intertwined from the financing mechanisms as well. Um, so with respect to, you know, kind of what that looked like um, from the consumer perspective, um, what the important carrots uh, for going to get your preventive services uh, was that you, it didn't, wasn't any cost to you. And, and by that, I mean, you do have to pay the premium um, if you qualify for a tax credit or cost sharing on the exchange. Um, certainly you, your costs may be minimal to nothing, um, but if I go to my doctor for an annual visit, for example, or take my baby for a well baby visit, that's all covered at um, $0. So we call that first dollar coverage of preventive services. So that concludes, you know, obviously what I mentioned, primary care visits, vaccinations, um, immunizations, uh, screenings, uh, mammogram, colonoscopies, colorectal for colorectal cancer, um, depression screening, uh, if you have um, uh, substance use disorders, uh, some of the treatment services that come along with that, um, tobacco cessation. Um, uh, there's a list uh, of services that are covered and they're kind of consistently updated and dictated by the US Preventative Services Task Force. Um, and health plans uh, do examine even within their own population, um, what, is, what is an opportunity for uh, taking away some of those costs and removing quote unquote barriers for individuals getting to those those frontline services. And Laura, that 
is so helpful of an overview. And I'm just sitting here thinking you've outlined other ways in which um, Medicaid and commercial coverage have just become far more similar um, in certain respects, uh, especially here in Illinois over the past, um, you know, nearly 10 years um, since we've seen expanded ACA coverage, since we've seen a shift um, to Medicaid managed care, because also in the Medicaid space, all of those preventative um, healthcare coverage uh, benefits, they're all also zero cost. So if you need your COVID vaccination, or you need to go for your annual physical, or you need to take your baby to your well-child visit, that's all free as well for Medicaid members. Um, and I think that, that just sort of reminding everybody um, from the member perspective that there, there is that zero cost at the, at the doctor's office um, for those services. Uh, and that that's, you know, if you have health insurance, whether it's through Medicaid or whether it's through commercial, like that's just, that's simply the case, um, which is not really where we were a decade or, or 15 years ago. No, not at all. Not at all. And, and I also am thankful that you brought in um, the, the intertwined nature of the financial piece. Um, because I think that from my perspective on the Medicaid side, it's so common that people don't appreciate how Medicaid or Medicare uh, is gonna impact their private insurance um, because they have private insurance. But at the end of the day, if we're all going to the same doctor or we're all going to the same hospital, if Medicaid or Medicare is underfunding the system, commercial insurance is picking up the bill and that's showing up in your premium. Uh, and, or if Medicaid or Medicare, uh, typically, honestly, in Illinois, previously it was Medicaid, um, is paying really slow, uh, and we're destabil and the Medicaid program um, is destabilizing the program, or the healthcare industry, uh, that impacts all of us, not just those with health, uh, Medicaid coverage. And so it, from a public policy perspective, but just a reality perspective of going to see the doctor or going to the hospital, um, it's all in our best interest to have a strong Medicaid program, um, even if we we hope to never rely on it and hope to always have commercial insurance or Medicare because the Medicaid policy will impact um, all of us. For sure. You could spend an entire podcast um, just talking about the financing mechanisms and how they're yes. interrelated beyond just preventive. <laughs> yes, they are. Absolutely. And 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 honestly, probably like three of them. Um, <laughs> but, but as we sort of dive in further and focus on preventative health care, and, and you listed out every, you know, a, a good amount of stuff already, but let's just sort of level set um, and and what we what do we mean when we are talking about preventative healthcare? And I think most importantly, because I think some people have things always top of mind on preventative healthcare. But what are some of the areas that are overlooked, um, sort of from your perspective about like what is included in that preventative care health bucket? So I think um, from from my perspective, um, there's definitely a huge emphasis on women's health services and children's health services. If you look at sort of that list, I mean, adults, you know, generally falls in that. But but I think some gaps and one glaring is uh, um, for prostate PSA screening has uh, long been discussed. Um, you know, as as far as why is that not included? I know that's sort of a talking point in, in um, amongst particularly advocate, consumer advocate and patient advocate groups. Um, but men's health, I think, is something that um, 
definitely needs a little more of a, a exposure within the preventive services, particularly because just I'll just you know, think about my husband and sort of the men are not as uh, open about their health issues or going to the doctor proactively, not not putting them in general in generality. But um, I think it, it it is important to kind of think about that in the context of preventive services and sort of putting a more of an emphasis on there. Um, that's obviously for discussion amongst the, the clinicians and the medical providers within the larger uh, preventive services task force. But that is one area that I think is um, sort of a gap. Uh, but taking that a little of a step further, you know, we talked about those screenings, for example. And so if I go for my annual mammogram, um, uh, it is, it is um, it's covered at 100%. But what if I'm called back um, for uh, a follow-up follow or second look? Um, maybe that, and then that's sort of what we call referred to as, we code, code it as diagnostic. Um, same happens in the colonoscopy space. Um, if you, uh, if they discover a polyp, if it's benign, it's removed, but you know it can be coded as diagnostic in your follow-up. So you have an expectation as a consumer, if you're well-versed in this, that, that you go in for those and um, it's all covered at 100% and suddenly you, know, you get a, a, a bill from your provider um, subject to your out-of-pocket costs, which you know uh, many consumers these days have what we call high deductible health plans. So there's there's sort of two sets of costs. There's the premium you pay to have the policy and then what costs are accrued after you're, you start using that policy. And that can be a little bit of a sticker shock and sometimes a deterrent for those um, in their follow-up if they're concerned that maybe it was just a one-time deal. Um, I know in Illinois, particularly this last year in in the last several years, there's been lots of discussions at the state legislative and the policy arena about how do we fix that hole or that gap. It sounds much easier than it is to do um, because the way, um, and again, this would be an entire podcast of how insurance is regulated, um, but the majority of policies are are not regulated by the state of Illinois. There are employer plans um, where employers design their benefits. They're essentially the relationship with the insurer is for them to manage the, the back office type of administrative work. Um, and I can talk more kind of about the, the role that employers do play in partnership with with their, um, with their insurers uh, to kind of reinforce the preventive services side. But I think those are definitely gaps in, in um, you know, in sort of the overall ability to get somebody into preventive services. And if we talk preventive, it's sort of the front door, right? Um, what about if I have a chronic condition, I'm diabetic, or you have certain comorbidities that go along with that? Um, you as a patient and a provider and your health insurance plan have to continue to manage that cost. So there's there's the costs that are borne out if I'm, you know, recognized as high risk. Preventive is also about maintenance and managing those that your conditions appropriately. But that can also come with challenges because there are costs involved with that. Maybe you're on a, a prescription drug that's uh, that's a little difficult for you to cover with your out-of-pocket. Um, again, the what I talked about the high deductible out-of-pocket costs. We're at least in a world today where those are now capped annually, so you can only pay so much out of pocket. But for those on a fixed or limited income, it's still, you know, it's not not insignificant dollars. Um, but I also think back to pre-ACA, where ca uh, caps were in a different realm. Caps were like how much you could spend per. You were limited 
per your lifetime um, and annually from even using your benefits. So um, definite movement forward, but there is room for room for improvement. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you highlighted that because I think when you start to talk about healthcare, especially in the United States, you, you stumble upon rather quickly opportunities for further discussion, right? Like nobody looks at our system and says, oh, this is, this is perfect. Um, and, and there are things where it's, you know, there's nuance to discuss and nuance to dive into further, um, you know, and we're constantly looking at it. What is, what is in that preventative healthcare bucket and how do we make sure it's comprehensive and that it's accurate and we, you know, are getting that right. Um, but also I think it's easy, especially now, cause this is, you know, we're about, um, a decade or so in to actually appreciating and, and, you know, using the ACA, um, you know, it's easy to forget how far we came. Um, you know, in the Medicaid space, we used to not be able to cover adults if they didn't have a dependent child. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in Illinois that got coverage. Uh, and so that was a big gap on the Medicaid side. Uh, and then on the commercial side, like you said, there, the structure uh, was just completely different. I mean, it, it's almost like it, it's hard to even try to think back to pre-ACA coverage and what that would mean. And then also, like you highlighted, Laura, in on the Medicaid space, we always think state officials, um, elected officials, uh, senators and representatives, they matter. They determine the benefit on the commercial side, they, I mean, it's just a very small snippet of what they can impact. It's really not only your congressman, my congresswoman, but, um, you know, all, all 50 states um, are really impacting the federal insurance regulation. And that's truly impacting the bulk of um, in commercially covered folks. Right. Yeah, and I just absolutely right. And just to kind of flesh out to what I my earlier point, you know, I think ACA did, we have come a long way in, well, a little over a decade um, with, you know, how, how people can access coverage and that important front door um, and getting them to, you know, to the into the healthcare system affordably. But when I say affordably, I also mean, you know, unfortunately, we're still at a time 10, 11, going on 12 years now, where healthcare costs are still increasing substantially and absorb um, a significant amount of our GDP <laughs> as a country. And, you know, we've, again, uh, could talk about this for hours and hours upon end. And that is a barrier, not just, um, you know, with respect to preventive ongoing ma management of, of, of your chronic condition, if you have them, but just the barrier of cost, healthcare costs, because insurance, you know, is a reflection of the cost borne out in the system. Um, certainly on the private market side, what you pay in your premium and your out-of-pocket is, um, well, it's set on the out-of-pocket side, but your premium is def definitely going to be a reflection of just the cost of providing healthcare. And it's unfortunately not going down. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because there have been, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about the cost of healthcare. And I think we talk a lot about premiums and copays. Uh, and that's like a, a very important piece of the puzzle. But if you don't also talk about, well, what is that premium paying for? And what is the cost? And, and how are those costs set? Um, then 
then you're just you're just looking at one piece of the puzzle and you're only going to be able to impact so so much um and so we're talking so one barrier that we're all collectively working on and we've made great strides on um to preventative health care is decreasing that cost um you know removing those barriers um a lot of areas where there's no cost for preventative uh, for what we would all consider preventative health care more work to still be done um but then there was then we had a pandemic and so we're making progress on preventative health care and here comes COVID 19 and we have just been, um, I mean, just hit hard on the preventative healthcare side. So if you were um, lucky enough to not be personally impacted by the pandemic um, in terms of loss or illness, um, you were impacted indirectly in a myriad of ways, obviously, socially, emotionally, financially, but also often on the healthcare side. Um, and so can you talk a little bit like, I know what we saw on the Medicaid side, but what did you guys see um, on the commercial side with regards to, to how COVID impacted preventative health care? Yeah, so, um, you know, certainly uh, it was had a devastating impact just on, on many people directly and indirectly. Um, you know, with the private market space, uh, unfortunately, there was job loss and individuals that, um, you know, had insurance through their employer, um, lost that coverage. There was uh, attempts, obviously, to open up the marketplace and provide some special enrollment periods so people can try to get an alternative uh, uh, coverage. There's there's the COBRA piece to, to extend from um, from your employer. Uh, but, but, you know, unfortunately, uh, there were just pure gaps in people um, having health insurance one day and then not, and, and maybe being qualified technically for Medicaid or other types of coverage options, but not signing up. Um, so that certainly, um, we saw that that piece of it play out. But I think also for those that, you know, did um, did continue or continue to have membership in, in a health insurance plan, um, the very fact that you couldn't go to your providers um, for some period of time, and you were uh, certainly um, recommended or encouraged not to access the healthcare system for, um, you know, services that were not related to COVID or emergent, which would include uh, going maybe if you had a scheduled uh, annual uh, checkup, which, you know, I was in that bucket, I think many care people were, um, you either rescheduled it or put it off. And unfortunately, many people put it off, including screenings. And there was a significant drop. And I think there was some data put out by the CDC not that long ago um, that also, you know, is, it mirrors a little bit on what happened on the private market side, where you did see people drop off on going for their screenings um, their breast cancer screenings, their colon cancer screenings, um, all those important screenings that, um, you know, matter um, and, and could delay otherwise finding some, some problems down the road. Um, but certainly when you look at it, you know, stand back a little more from what the data showed, not just with the private market, there was huge inequities in those that you know, didn't go for the screenings. In fact, I think there was well over 80, close to 90% um, drop off, uh, I think in women um, uh, and men uh, both of, you know, that were either low income or underinsured um, or those of color. Um, and it, it definitely, um, that is something that we started to come back a little bit as the system has, has uh, um, gotten back to some, um, uh, 
normalcy, I guess, if the best way to put it, or the new normal. Um, but that is, uh, that's definitely um, a new, not a new challenge, but uh, an enhanced challenge that we all kind of collectively have to figure out how to address. Uh, because, you know, it's certainly from the health insurance, private health insurance side, you may have seen that there's you know, lots of stories about, well, you know, they didn't accrue as many costs in the COVID, the pandemic. Well, that's true. Um, uh, fortunately, with respect to, you know, those that, um, that you know, were accessing the healthcare system, but the underlying story of that is that all those people that were, you know, if they were fortunately not dealing with COVID and that was a, a terrible, um, um, uh, stress on our system, um, but the costs that come from delay of care, delay of preventative care, uh, fortunately, I, I hope this proves me wrong, but I think we'll be seeing that borne out um, in certainly a little bit this year, next year, and, and the, the foreseeable future. So we do have to address that. Yes. And we saw, I mean, the same things, uh, and we're seeing it this year already uh, within the Medicaid program. So first, we had the opposite. Our um, membership grew significantly um, because, as you said, Laura, um, people lost their jobs um, and they ended up on Medicaid uh, for the first time. Uh, and, and really, and, and a lot didn't. Our number one in Illinois, the largest portion of uninsured members um, are of our population are actually people eligible for Medicaid not enrolled. So when we talk about how do we increase access, there there's a bucket who are eligible, um, a large bucket of people who just don't realize they're eligible and haven't enrolled in Medicaid. Um, and so that would be the number one way to decrease, um, you know, the uninsured is to get people um, signed up for the benefits that they're already eligible for. But so we, we saw a bunch of people um, move into the Medicaid program and realize that the Medicaid program was a healthcare safety net for the first time, um, which I think my hope is going forward that they will, that more people will appreciate the value of the program. But what we also saw was that delay in, in accessing preventative care because it either um, wasn't available for a period of time where you just really couldn't get in, or at least, I mean, I'm still seeing this, it's harder to get in. Um, they, you know, they, they are taking more protocols, um, safety protocols and limiting appointments and having more time in between appointments, all of which is great, except that that naturally means that there are fewer appointment slots. Um, and so it's harder. Um, if you are still employed, you've seen how many friends and family become unemployed. And so you don't want to take any extra time off um, and you're nervous and, and there's just so many factors. Um, so there's, there's just that piece as well. And exactly what you're saying, Laura, is it's not only that direct impact, right? Like, oh, you didn't get your breast, your mammogram um, in 2020, you'll get it in 2021 and, you know, everything will be fine. That is absolutely the case for some people. For others, they didn't get their mammogram in 2020. It was a missed early diagnosis of breast cancer. It'll hopefully be diagnosed in 21, maybe 22, but the cancer's progressed. And so the treatment is more complex. Uh, there, It's more involved. It's more costly. It's it's more burdensome for the member and, and potentially a worse outcome. And so we are going to see that borne out. Um, you know, I think for years to come, especially with 
preventative cancer screenings. Uh, I also, you know, we saw a huge drop in um, vaccinations. Uh, and, and to your point of, of the disparity that we always knew existed, but really the gap um, widened during this time, is that while we've seen the numbers for adolescent vaccinations come back up for commercially insured members, we don't see that same rebound for our Medicaid members. Um, and, and so we, you know, we're worried about that, especially because we've got, I mean, which I, I just want to underscore all the time, we've got a vaccine for cancer, you know, with the HPV vaccination. And so, and that's at the at adolescent range. And so if, um, if our low income adolescents aren't getting this um, vaccine, they're not getting back in, they're not getting vaccinated, uh, that's going to impact them, you know, short term, but potentially long term as well. And so we've got to collectively work as an um, as an ecosystem, all healthcare uh, providers and and plans on how do we um, close some of these gaps and what do we need from a public policy perspective? But maybe what do we just need from from messaging and outreach and using the tools we already have? And yeah, I think to that, and it sort of gets me to like our my last question. Um, because we've talked a lot about already, like sort of the challenges, but what are we doing and what can we do um, in collaboration with providers and collaboration with one another, you know, to in increase access to preventative care and then, and really at the end of the day, improve outcomes, which is why I, I know I'm in this business and I know you're in this business is, is to directly and positively impact people's lives. Yeah. So I think um, there are definitely some ways that the health plans are on the on the private market space are are thinking about how to um, kind of approach this problem and uh, a lot of that sort of under the right I would say under the radar but not certainly visible maybe to to everyone but it's in the relationship and specifically the contractual relationship they have with the providers um, so it's kind of known as the value-based um, value-based contracting or the shared savings model which is designed you know with providers and payers to um, try to you know use financial tools to incentivize um, care outcomes so identifying patients that you know are high risk or um, in need of ma medical management uh, and, and how do you work within the pool of money that you have to um, try to improve outcomes and hopefully um, promote cost savings and, and more money for the providers and, and certainly more monies for the consumers uh, in their pockets. Um, that's kind of a, a one way um, within, I mentioned earlier about, you know, large employers particularly working and partnering with health plans um, especially those that um, self-insure or take the risk on. They have a lot more, um, you know, it's it's not an inexpensive endeavor for them to do that, but they have levers to pull within their population of employees to encourage wellness. And um, a big part of, you know, recruitment and, and what it means to, to keep employees uh, engaged and at work and productive. And, um, you know, there's things such as integrated health benefits, for example, pulling in the pharmacy, the medical and the behavioral, um, and trying to identify, you know, at-risk um, employees uh, and 
um, connecting with like health coaches and, and um, working through um, if, you know, I use this example, if you're, you're diabetic, but maybe you're suffering depression at the same time, you know, is, can this additional health coach kind of identify um, areas in which services and different providers, um, you know, are needed gaps in services that are necessary to maintain um, your good health. Um, you know, in the patient, it's it's hard. You, it's it's always trying to figure out how to motivate the patients, and it's difficult. I mean, I think you know, it's about keeping the healthy healthy and the um, less healthy um, in in good health um, and and good outcomes. Uh, I think you know, it, it, it's hard. It, it, it's, I'm not saying it's an it's it's an easy thing to do, but those are just a couple of things. Um, you know. We talked about COVID vaccinations or vaccinations and immunizations, just information, um, just trying to um, identify those within, um, you know, there's initiatives going on now about uh, within the private, private and the public space of what members need vaccinations, how can we encourage them uh, to go get it, certainly can't require them to do that, but we can use all the information to spell any rumors that it, that's any cost to them um, and uh, remove those those concerns. But um, those are kind of a few few ways. Uh, telehealth, um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention telehealth. That's a big part of it. Not that you can do a screening via telehealth and certainly like a, a mammogram, certain screenings you can do, but you know, the accessibility to your providers um, has also changed and, and particularly within the behavioral health space. I would say that there's um, been, I think, um, an uptick in individuals um, accessing providers um, via telehealth, um, particularly as we've seen on the commercial side, saw that a lot during the pandemic, but where those telehealth claims have kind of dropped off for other areas, it hasn't necessarily dropped off as significantly for behavioral health. So um, that is, I think, the technology aspect of encouraging consumers to interface with their providers, maybe not necessarily in person. Um, that has a lot of promise, and um, you know, I think there are definitely ways in which all prov providers and health plans are trying to think about creatively um, how to incentivize consumers to continue to seek those types of important services. Oh, no, I was going to say I could not agree more. Um, Laura, I'm so glad you wove telehealth in there because it's so critical and obviously really a piece that changed um, significantly over the past two years. Yeah, for sure. So that was a, a really just fantastic conversation. And as you both talked about in some of the topics, uh, some of this could have gone on for hours, but unfortunately we're gonna have to cut it there. Uh, so again, Laura, thank you very much for, for being here. Uh, we would really appreciate if you would, uh, wouldn't mind coming back and, and speaking with Sam on this and then other topics in the future uh, episode of Sam Says, if you don't mind. Oh, of course. I'd be happy to. In fact, I think maybe Sam and I could just record our conversation. So we, we tend to talk about this all a lot <laughs> on podcasts, off podcasts. So no, it's been a pleasure. I always enjoy talking to uh, Sam and, and to all of you. So appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Well, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Uh, Sam, before we close out, a uh, very robust discussion today. Is there anything that stuck with you or you'd like to dive into further at uh, at a later date? So I always love talking to Laura about healthcare finance. Um, uh, as a economics major, uh, it's sort of my nerdy, one of my nerdy passions. But one thing I think I'd be remiss if I didn't just underscore is that preventative care 
uh, and vaccinations, uh, whether they be immunizations for things like HPV or the flu or shingles or COVID are free to all members. If you have commercial insurance, if you have um, Medicaid, uh, is the COVID vaccine is free. And if you're uninsured, the COVID vaccine is free. So please get vaccinated. Very good point. Very good point. Uh, again, great episode uh, today. And if you like what you've heard, I encourage you to visit the I'm Hip website at imhip.net. That's I-A-M-H-P.net to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one today. I also would encourage you to like and follow us on social media on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And if you're interested in becoming a trusted partner, I encourage you to reach out to I'm Hip's Chief Operating Officer, Elena Kennedy, or visit the website at I'mHip.net. On behalf of Sam and the team at I'm Hip, Again, I'm Deron Beverly with the Gemini Group. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sam Says. Stay safe and we'll talk to you soon.